0: Now, podcasting to Ottawa Senator fans around the world, world. it's the Sins Nation podcast. From praising Alfie to Brady Kachuk and everything in between. If it matters to Sins fans, we're talking about it right here. And now, here's Steve Warren. Coming up on today's show, is the Hall of Fame finally going to praise Alfie? Come on. The Buffalo Sabres blowing things up big time. Things the Sens can do to win fans back next season, whenever that is. Connor Brown opens up about some things about the season. That story last week about Eugene Melnick and the organ donor charity, oof, oof, full of mistakes. And an Ottawa senator from that 2017 magical playoff run calls it A career. All still ahead today on the SENS Nation podcast. Thanks for being with us. We hope you enjoy the show. And my co-host, as always, is the coach, Greg Kennedy. How are things, Greg? Very well, Stephen. How are you doing this week? I am just fine. I just started the last dance. The rest of North America has watched the last (laughs) dance like a month ago. And I just started dipping my toe in it uh, this week. So I'm looking forward to watching the rest of that.
1: I'll probably get around to it. It's in my, what do you call that list on there? I'm going to get to it list on uh bucket list, Netflix. Yeah, no, it's on Netflix. There's that list, my list, whatever. Okay.
0: Your playlist. Whatever. You don't
1: have one of those. You don't go through it.
0: Nah, it seems like too, it seems like too much work.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. Fair
0: enough. Um. Boy, I'm thinking about next weekend, like on Wednesday, just think about it. If you're a Sense fan, think about how, you know, the next, those three or four days on Wednesday, Daniel Alfredson has a chance to go into the Hall of Fame, and then on Friday of next week, the Sens could win the draft lottery. Like, what a a window that might be of excitement for Sens fans.
1: (laughs) Should I be Coach Neg now? (laughs)
0: You can do whatever you like. You're not an Alfredson
1: guy? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I am. I am. I'm saying that, but but I'm going to be pessimistic here and say, watch them go 0 for 2. No Alfie getting in on Wednesday and losing the draft lottery on Friday.
0: I hope that's not going to happen. Same Uh, here. Yeah, because, I mean, both of those things would be a real shot in the arm for Sens fans. It would be really cool if they end up with, you know, as they, you know, the very day that Daniel Alfredson is honored, probably, you know, with Eric Carlson ending up leaving Ottawa, if you're looking at body of work, Daniel Alfredson is probably the greatest player in franchise history. And then a couple of days after, you're kind of uh, honoring him with that. Then maybe, Alexi Lafreniere, the next Daniel Alfredson comes to town. Wouldn't that be good?
1: Oh, beautiful. Now, does Alfie get in? Let's look at it um, objectively. Does Alfie get in?
0: I don't. I thought he'd be in by now. So whatever reasons have been keeping him out to this stage, I don't know that they change a whole lot. And there are still a bunch of guys and, and a bunch of new guys this year that are still on the outside looking in so whatever it is whatever be in the bonnet of the hall of fame voters whatever that is i don't know that it's gone i would put daniel Offertson in yesterday but if you ask me if i'm gonna bet money on what the hall of fame committee will do next week i'm gonna have to say they're going to give him the old heisman again and shut him down
1: well, I think that what, what works against him or what could work against him is there's a number of players there who have been, quote unquote, overlooked longer than he has. If suddenly people get soft and they want to put those guys in, then he's not getting in this time around. The But what works in his favor is uh, lately this this search for international credentials, let's say, like Vaklav Nedimansky getting in last year, right? An incredible international resume. Well, Alfie has that too, right? Like he's got, Uh, an Olympic gold, he's got an Olympic silver, he's got a couple of world championship silvers, a couple of world championship bronzes, he outscored Sundin most times in most of those tournaments when they were there head-to-head I think that's the the, the one thing that should get him in above other North American players who don't sort of have that pedigree
0: When you look at some of the first-timers like he's already right out of the gate looking at, oh look, Jerome Ginla is added to the fray with all the guys that have been waiting for a long time that you just talked about, he's a yeah. first-time eligible. Marion Hosa. There's another guy, but there's three names uh, right off the top of guys that would certainly be competitive with Daniel Alfredson just on a on a on a first ballot scenario. Let alone everybody you just talked about.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you. Like, uh, is Shane Doan not like the Alfie of Winnipeg slash Arizona? Kind of. Is he yeah. not their guy? Yeah, you know. But, but you bring up a Ginla, he's, if you take the first decade of the 21st century, like 2000 to 2009, there's only two guys with more points than Alfie in that 10-year period. Right. One of them is a ginla, right? It's a ginla and Thorne. That's it.
0: Well, there's a bunch that are eligible that are all in the 1,000-point club, along with Daniel Offerts, and here's a good list. You've got Vinny Domfus You've got Theo Fleury, Dale Hunter, uh, Steve Larmer still not in. Rick Middleton, McGilney, Bernie Nichols, Brian Propp, Jeremy Roenick, uh, Pierre Turgeon, a bunch of others. Those are some uh, of the, the yeah. I mean, those are some of the bigger names uh, as we go. Um, I haven't even gotten into the goaltenders. So yeah, I mean, I think he absolutely belongs in there, but uh, I just don't know what's changed. There's still a lot of guys.
1: And it's also the the max number too might affect him this year, because you look at the four goalie uh discussion that everybody's been having. what is it? It's uh Vernon, Osgood, Barrasso, and who's the fourth that they're all talking about. Oh, Joseph, right? they're They're the big four that everybody seems to be wanting to talk about comparing. So if suddenly these guys turn around and say, "Hey, wait a minute, and throw in two of those, that's you know that's two spots that uh, that aren't open to Alfie because is it four? Three four, or five, how many forwards or how many uh n h l skaters get in uh, each year i think it's right i think it's now. generally Absolutely.
0: four and then you have builders on top of that
1: yeah, yeah, so that the the numbers are affecting him and and I can see them saying no, but i i think it's i think it's a clear cut, yeah, he's all a favorite
0: excellent uh and it's certainly i think it, there's a lot of things that play in his favor he's got a terrific international record, and he's like. We, it's the intangible of fame, right? And a lot of that will go into, you know, everybody in Ottawa. Well, it's an automatic of, of fame, right? Um, but, you know, you think about the Hall of Fame voters, they're, they're in a different headspace, and they've got a lot of options, and they're trying to be objective. But I look at Daniel Alfredson, you know, the body of work in Ottawa, the face of a franchise that doesn't have anybody in the Hall of Fame, not in the modern era anyway. Um, I think all that plays in, for me anyway.
1: I agree. Yeah. I mean, a a point a game player basically for his first thousand games. Okay. So he didn't get to 500 goals, but he certainly got to his 1000 points Uh, and a a steady, you know, consistent year in year out. To me, he deserves to be in and we'll wait and see what happens uh, this week. We'll be, we'll be talking about it next week. One way or the other, won't we?
0: Yep, absolutely. So, uh, I've got it. Okay, so Daniel Alfredson is in the Hall of Fame Wednesday, and we, you know, they get first overall in the draft lottery <laughs> on Friday. Um, and I guarantee it. It's my no money back guarantee. Okay. okay, how about that?
1: Are we doing our simulation?
0: We could do that right now if you want. You want to? Yeah, let's do that. Let us get into the draft lottery simulation. I will go first and see how we do. So we've only got... Two shows left before the draft lottery. So this is getting important. So here we go. I'm I'm up. Here we go. San Jose at three, Ottawa at four. Oh, Steven. That
1: sucks. Uh, I I will say that I did one about a week ago. And I did save the picture in my phone, and I have San Jose one, Ottawa two. We'll do one right now. Are you ready? I just yep. click this reset button, or I click Sim Lottery. Sim
0: Lottery. Do I click
1: here? Sim Lottery. Click. Round round. What am I do in the NBA? Cleveland. Yo boy Cleveland. Ah, Cleveland. oh, Cleveland's getting Alexi Lafreniere. <laughs> That's great. That's hilarious. I didn't even realize I was on the NBA one. I put in tankathon in <laughs> search. There's a tankathon for the NBA too. You learn something every day. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Sim lottery. Click. <laughs> Anaheim, Buffalo, Minnesota, Detroit, Ottawa, San Jose. Five and six. Oh
0: man, that's the <laughs> second time you've done that. You gotta knock that out. <laughs> that's the worst. <laughs> the worst. The absolute yeah. worst. Uh, All <laughs> right. Now don't listen oh, to that one. Next me. week's the one that counts. Next yeah, week. Agreed. Agreed. All yeah. Right. Okay. Fair enough. What a week it's been for the Buffalo Sabres. Oh, uh, they they have they fired their GM Jason Botterell, who was supposed to be kind of the next one, right? He was highly sought after as an assistant GM with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He brought over some guys like Randy Sexton with, and he was fired this week. Sabres never made the playoffs under his watch in his three years there. But I think that the thing that grabs me immediately, and uh, you had a chance to to uh, kind of you know, suss out what's going on with Buffalo and, uh, and talking to some people there, so we'll get more on that in a second. But yep. don't you find the timing... Weird, like we go through three months of COVID. We haven't played hockey in a long time. And then all of a sudden, it's like house cleaning. Like, why now?
1: Well, not only that, was it? it's three weeks ago when um, one of them, I'm not sure whether it was husband or wife. I can't remember now. One of them said, "Yep, yeah, no, we're good. Jason's our man.
0: That's right. The, the dreaded and, vote of confidence.
1: Know. Yeah, but it was, you know, communication's good. It, that was even a specific comment discussing communication. And now when he's fired, it's about communication, they said. Right. <laughs>
0: Strange, right? Yeah, there was reference to in, in the commentary. I think it was Kim Pagula and she was saying something along the lines that we might be privy to information. Maybe this isn't yeah. something that that fans are necessarily going to be all on board, but we have, you know, we have information. So it sounded like they were aware of the fact the fan base was on fire about this particular general manager, but they decided after all their due diligence, you know what? He's going to stay around at least one more year. And then something changed very, very yeah, dramatically. Well, and, and maybe the fans, after hearing that, amped things up. Maybe the fans uh, really got in their ear after that.
1: That's a good point because it was during the last month that they were playing hockey, fans were yelling to have them fired with signs and, and chants and everything in the building in, uh, in December and January. So maybe after that announcement came out that, yeah, we like this guy, suddenly they got a plethora of emails. Who knows?
0: Boy, there's some bad deals and the Ryan O'Reilly one would be oh. Exhibit A. You look at that deal that went down. Uh, it was just a couple of years ago. They trade away Ryan O'Reilly to the Blues. They get Tage Thompson, who's with the team, but not exactly an impact guy. Patrick Berglund, who I think retired or, or left the league shortly thereafter. I don't know what was going on with him. And Vladimir Sabotka, also a first-rounder and a second-rounder. Uh, the second rounder still to be drafted uh, a year from now. Uh, but the first rounder, I forget who it is. Uh, they, they've not made any impact. As-
1: Berglund was a, um, sorry to interrupt. No that. problem. Berglund um, was some sort of an off-ice mental health issue, like, like a, yes. a, um, depression to some degree, and just flat out retired. Thompson at the time was probably, at, at worst, the third best prospect that Pittsburgh had, or sorry, St. Louis had if not the first or second. He's just had injury problem, and it's been horrible for him.
0: You know, despite all that, like, who knows what the future holds? It doesn't look very good. Uh, But but talk about a blow-up-in-your-face deal. Like, a year after, like, the very season after you make this deal, the guy goes on to win the Conn Smythe Award and the Stanley Cup with the Blues. Like, that's a hard one to come back from if you're a GM.
1: Yeah, exactly. He wasn't going to recover. That thing's going to be hanging over his head forever. Even if even if three, four years from now they end up looking like they might have possibly won the deal, uh, I, people will still remember that because St. Louis, let's face it, it was a short-term gain. St. Louis wasn't picking up Ryan O'Reilly for the next five years. They were picking up Ryan O'Reilly because they saw him as a necessary piece to put them over the top. So if that's your goal, then you won the trade, no matter what ends up happening in Buffalo.
0: A GM being removed doesn't necessarily represent a house cleaning, but, oh, dear, was this a house cleaning. <laughs> like, what, was the, what is the number of Buffalo Sabres executives, scouts? Like, what's the number of employees who were removed this week? Are you ready? 19.
1: Crazy. Yeah. The general manager, Botterill, the two assistant GMs, uh, one of whom, of course, is Randy Sexton, um, the head scout, the sorry, director of amateur scouting, the assistant director of amateur scouting, ten amateur scouts, one pro scout, the farm club head coach and the farm club's two assistant coaches, nineteen people total. Awesome wow. job one day, and it's, it's scary, like, eh?
0: and this is again, we 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 go back three weeks, vote of confidence, we reset the fact that we're in COVID. And nobody's played a hockey game in over three months. Like what? It it almost speaks to some kind of an emotional blow up scenario um, where oh, no there was where there was pressure. Maybe it was coming from the fans. Maybe there was an interaction between Baderel and the Pagulas. It's just very very odd, and it strikes me as something that um, in, in my in, in all likely, just speculation may have had to do
1: with emotions. Okay, but, but think of this, Steve. Like, you're the owner of the hockey club. What do you know about the scouts? Like, seriously, what, what, what do you know about the one guy who scouts Northern Alberta for you, you know? Right. Like, how do you step in and, and clean out? They, they've only got, like, nine scouts left, apparently. Like, how do you do that? I, I, it just floors me that it, it, the, the, it runs that deep, that somebody who's contributing to this conversation, who's got Pagula's ear... To say, look, all these people have to go. Like, there's no way that an owner's going to step in and say all these people go. He's well, I'd, have
0: to, in I'd have to say Kevin Adams would be probably that guy because he was their director of business admin, and uh, he's been with the organization for several seasons. So yeah, he was running
1: know, a hockey rink.
0: Yeah, like he was kind of put in perspective. He was kind of running like the the Sensplex. You know, it's the same kind of deal in Buffalo. and but, but yeah, if you ask that question, that would be my best guess, only speculating that Kevin Adams is saying, you know, this is what I see and this is what I'd like to do and I'd like to bring in my own people. I don't know that Kevin Adams, as someone who's never been an NHL GM, has 19 people ready to go.
1: Exactly. He doesn't have his people. I mean, here's a guy, you're talking nine years without a playoff uh, spot, right? They haven't made the playoffs in over nine years. This is their fourth GM and their, and they're on their fifth coach in that nine year period. Think of that. Like a a GM needs at probably at least five years to fully judge what's, what the man's accomplished. And, and you've had two in a row that you only gave three years to. And right now, until the end of the month, you're still paying three GMs. You know, they're still paying Tim Murray. Ugh,
0: crazy. Buffalo, man. That's, that, and that's one of the Sens' Top rivals in the league probably should be a bigger rival than they actually are they've met so many times in the past in the playoffs and they're in the same division but for whatever reason they just don't seem to be high on the Sens fans list of uh of of, you know
1: arch rivals In, in those nine straight seasons of missing the playoffs four of them buffalo finished last in the atlantic that's hard to do yeah yeah but i i still think that goes back to a changing vision at the top every three years
0: I would rather be a fan of the Ottawa Senators than a fan of the Buffalo Sabres right now. Which is
1: exactly where I was leading.
0: Yeah, Jack Eichel's a hell of a hockey player. Um, I'm not sure where he has chemis- where he's at chemistry-wise, um, but uh, hell of a player, don't get me wrong. But I, I'm, I'm liking the way the Sens are positioned right now with uh, all the assets they have coming in the draft, uh, not just this year, but in future years, plus all the young guys they already have. I think the Sens are much, much closer to a Stanley Cup than the Sabres are.
1: I would agree. And on on the Richter scale of missteps within an organization or, you know, or oh my God moments within an organization, this thing in Buffalo is worth five or six of the so-called problems that the Senators have had in the last couple of years. Like this is, this is huge.
0: Speaking of problems with the Sens, um, I thought it'd be a fun exercise to discuss a few of the things that the Sens can do as an organization to try and win the fans back. And we could go at it from the perspective of, okay, uh, yeah, well, there's a lot of fans who, you know, want new ownership. Uh, You know, fans will say things like, we got to win more. Um, I want to kind of take those off the table because they're the loudest ones. They're the ones that most likely are going to drown out maybe some other ideas. So I thought I'd fire that out there as a possibility. And naturally, we go at this with the caveat of, um, well, we have no idea. When we're gonna play hockey again? Like COVID is the biggest thing keeping fans out of the building right now, and um, you know maybe for another season even before we have fans back in there. We might go whenever they get back to playing hockey. There might be another season after that even where there's nobody in the building, based on what you hear from some people about COVID. Uh, but yeah. what are some of the things we came up with a list? Uh, I'll let you. I'll let you go first, and then I'll fill in gaps if uh, if you haven't if you've okay, got. Okay, I, I was
1: ones. yeah, because I'm I'm really interested in knowing what your your uh, listeners to your other podcast came up with for things that they were sending you via Twitter, but I, I came up with five. I, uh, I, I guess one of them is, is be better next season. Does that, I guess I really, that shouldn't count, should it? Cause you said that's, we don't yeah, want to talk that, that's about that sort of,
0: be because that's, but, I think we all agree winning let, cures a lot,
1: but let's expand on that. Uh, next season, they must continue this, this idea of a, of a culture of character people with a high work ethic. Right a cons- uh, you know a culture of showing up and and being accounted for every night, so that that there i'll I'll go with that rather than be better next season uh, that that part must continue that's that's one thing that definitely has to happen okay I think a second one is uh smart asset management over the course of this off season and uh, quite frankly the next two years probably with all these draft picks and all these players in the system, asset management moving forward is going to be huge, okay. Um, I said some type of smart dollar distribution this off season, where's the money going to go? Who's the money going to go to that relates obviously to these list of free agents, both restricted and unrestricted, who gets money? What kind of money do you give them? I think that the vision, the plan must be, we want to give them money for the role they're going to be playing three years from now, not for the type of player they were three years ago. Too often free agents get money based on resume, not based on potential. And I think that it's important that these people that are free agents now are paid based on what their value and worth is now, but more importantly, where they're going to be three years from now. You don't want to have some guy making way too much money playing on your third or fourth line three years from now that's going to prevent you from re-upping whoever it is you draft in the first round this year. Okay. That's four. Uh, yep. Number one, my, my number one, oh, I got, to work. okay, I'm going working my way down. Stay the course. Um... The the idea that the, the price of getting good is being bad. That must be maintained. They must understand that not make mistakes based on, ooh, we won a couple games, let's go get Matt Duchesne. We're we're a contender. You know, stay the course, stick with the plan, don't go off page. That screws up too many teams in the middle of rebuilds. And uh what was actually my fifth, but now it looks like it's my first. Anyway, invest in public relations somehow, some way fix your standing and your reputation within this community. Whether that means fan enhancement, it means more public appearances. I almost think they need to take a, a small town junior hockey club approach. Get the players out and about in the public. I don't care. Have them show up at this fair and that fair and this uh, little community event. and Get the players out in the public. You need to sell tickets, right? Tickets have got to be moved here. Season oh, God, ticket yeah. base has to grow. So there has to be a sizable investment in the PR department.
0: Yeah, and and that's my
1: big five. Anyway. Yeah,
0: I like it. Um, so I put it out on Twitter and I got, a, I don't know, something like 350, maybe closer to 400. Wow. Um, and, they, and everyone was, they took it seriously because I, I put it in there and framed it said, you know, let's try and keep this constructive. We can make wise cracks if we want, but let's see if we can come up with some ideas. And right. there was some, some really good ones. And, and some of the commonalities, um, the in-game experience, um, those who are going to games on a regular basis just want freshness. They want they want to see things improve as far as, let's get some new music. Let's get some new uh, intermission or stoppage games, right? Like, hey, I've seen the Prime Minister's races. I'm good. Um, so they're looking for anything that will freshen up the in-game experience. Um, and I saw people say things like, you know, more ways to celebrate the franchise. There was a game about, I'm going to say, 10 years ago now where they brought back all a whole pile of old senators. They all had their jerseys on. And they had a standing ovation. And some fans were asking for a way to celebrate the franchise with past players, past wins, past excitement, and really promote those positive years. Tailgating was brought up a lot. So um, there are ways yeah. to improve things. Um, and I would say... That everything we're talking about here uh, and you've already mentioned investment that that's that's a tricky thing because Sure, there are ways that you can help get fans back in in the stands and even if you leave aside uh, The rocky relationship between a lot of the fan base and the owner leave that aside completely Most of these ideas have a dollar trail to them money must be spent to make these ideas work So as I was reading all these ideas, I'm like, great idea, great idea. That's not that good. Great idea. And uh, they all will cost money. So ownership and spending, that's got to be um, a a paramount thing because, I mean, every businessman wants maximum returns with minimum investment. Um, But the NHL is not your typical business. You've got to, to some degree... um, Keep up with some of the investment actions of the other franchises where you're going to have a really hard time competing. And I'm not saying go out and spend insane money on free agent players. I'm talking about making sure there are smart people at every level that they can, and then you trust them, that they're going to hire well, they're going to lead, they're going to do all the right things and really encourage them to be honest with you and you, and, and tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. So,
1: Like an investment in staff.
0: Uh, exactly right. Invest in yeah. staff who are going to make those good decisions, and let and them. They, yeah, and when they tell you you need to hire more people or you need to invest money in something, then trust it. The money you've put out and a, and a lot more will come back to you.
1: Couldn't agree more. In game experience, how do you, what do you think about that? Are you, are you a guy that needs to be entertained between uh, like during stoppages?
0: Well, I, I'm of the opinion that um, the hardcore hockey fan. Doesn't really need the in-game experience they're there to watch hockey they're hardcore but a good chunk of your fan base they just want to go home entertained so if the product on the ice is uh, you're not winning much uh, well they're gonna look they're gonna clamor for something else like okay let's what else is happening in here and it's the same thing as the night before and the night before that so people are looking for uh, entertainment in times where the team's not very good, I would say when the team is good and Brady Kachuk gets a hat trick and Ottawa wins seven to two, nobody's talking about hey that DJ was great tonight in the in the rink. So yeah, that's where I'm at with the in game experience.
1: I'd love to see a game where they do it the old way. No, just an organ. That's it. Don't even play any videos. Just an organ. Old school, baby.
0: Yeah. No, I, I mean the. the... <laughs> There's uh, there's nope. advertisements and stuff, obviously, that are driving the bus, right? And the, so they're making announcements on, hey, uh, the new car is out uh, from so-and-so company. Um, yeah. And if you're going to go old school, I was looking at, if you check my Twitter page, at TSN Steve, um, I retweeted some old uh, film, NHL game film from the mid-1960s from the National yes, Film Board. Stuff. Isn't yeah. it great? Like, there's yeah. no, not, the, the boards are all bare, and uh, there's a darkness in the stands, so it's, it's like a movie theater, right? You're dark in the audience, and what you're uh, focused on is the bright area, and it just, it's, it's beautiful. It just looks yeah. so pure, and if you're a, you know, a purist and a, and, a, and a hardcore hockey fan, that would probably be a, a good deal. I would probably, you know, you'd probably enjoy the game a little more.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I read an article about uh, how games are going to look on TV with there's no fans in the building. And somebody mentioned they could film them and broadcast them in the way that those games were, right? Where the where the seats are dark. Right. The lighting was completely different in those days. Yeah. And it, it sorta of, it, it has a nostalgia feel to it, but also looks so much like that's not H D, like it's that's clear, clear viewing pictures and stuff that you were watching there. And I, I it's gotta have something to do with the background and the lighting, all that. That was some pretty cool stuff to
0: watch. Yeah, I mean it's just professionally filmed as NFL films were for so many yeah. decades, right? It's too bad that that doesn't really exist with the NHL. There was never really NHL films. This was just the National Film Board sending a crew out to a few games and getting some highlights here and there. It would be really cool if you had the big John Facenda voice describing <laughs> Bobby Bond scoring on a broken leg and winning a Stanley Cup. <laughs> like just, well, you just the don't see that. tundra. Kind of, yeah, exactly. It'd be cool to have an NHL version of NFL films. Now, some of the other uh, options that people put out yeah. there, um, you know, obviously trying to find a way uh, to connect with younger fans, maybe move games to 7 o'clock, allow more families, uh, more kid-friendly games and activities. Cause, and, and you know what? That's a, when I think about the kids, they don't care about money. They don't care about ownership. They're just there. To see their heroes, be part of something fun. You got to find ways to entertain and energize them because those are the fans of the future. And uh, I worry sometimes in the mode we're in right now, and pretty much have been for most of seven years. 2017 will always stand out as a as a shining light, but most of the last seven years, it's been a little on the glitchy side. And I worry that if there's too many more of these years, you start thinking about that lost generation effect that we saw with Ottawa CFL football. I mean, the the Rough Riders were bad for so long. A whole lost generation kind of fell out. And boy, the Red Blacks had that as a challenge on top of everything else. And uh, they conquered it. They they put together this amazing game day experience. And so uh, it's great for families. It's great for those who want to have a beer. So... uh, you know, there there's some lessons to be learned from what uh, the CFL team did here in town.
1: Yeah, that ties in with my where I said invest in PR and fan engagement. Fan engagement doesn't have to necessarily mean game day, but it's get out and about in the community, too. Like yeah. school visits, go to a grade one class and read to some kids and do some more of those outdoor practices at different rinks around town. Just be more involved in minor hockey programs across the city. Just get out and about and and. Turn people on to liking the player. You know, this player showed up and he was so nice and what a fine young man. And and you know, oh, he's a senator. Yeah, let's go watch a game because we really liked him.
0: Right. Things
1: like that that can, that can engage people.
0: uh Cost was a big thing: ticket prices, parking, food, yeah. beer. People are always in every market going to talk about that because it is a lot of money. Ticket prices, though, I think for me that's a non-starter. Um, Agreed. Because it, you know, look around the NHL and see what's going on, it's not. It's not like uh, near the top. It's like low to mid level. Yes, uh, that. Yeah, and 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 fans, and I know this is probably going to be an unpopular take, but fans are constantly saying s- something along the lines of, "Well, if you want to be an owner, you got to pay the freight. You got to be willing to, you know, absorb the cost of doing business in this league. If you're saying that, you also have to do it from a fan perspective. If you want an NHL team in your town, you have to kind of accept." That's the cost of going to games. The prices are high, largely because the salaries are high, and that ain't going to
1: change. Go look at what it costs to go to a game, like let's not say Toronto or Montreal, where it you know, could cost a small fortune. But just look at, look at other teams across the league, and, and an Ottawa ticket price is, is pretty darn good. Right. Now, parking, okay. The, the concessions, okay. Like more nights around concessions, more deals around concessions. And I think they have tried to do some things with that. But yep. that, that, you, you know, you could, you could maybe give some people a break on those. Things.
0: Yeah. Parking is, you know, not just a cost factor, but, you know, continuing to lot. experiment, you know, getting out, you know, shuttle oh, uh, shuttles and beat. things like that. So, uh, that is what it is. Um, and, and one last one that I'll throw in here because I've got a, a whole bunch still, but, yeah. uh, the one that came up quite a bit was just, um, a general dislike of the owners continued appearances on Toronto radio. Right, they they just yeah. I don't get that one. Well, I think there's a there's a disconnect between Eugene Melnick and the Ottawa media. Um, we had uh, I don't know if it was the Citizen that was banned from being on the plane. That's correct. Um, I I know that Ian Mendez was insulted. Who's one of the nicest guys in our industry? Exactly. Ian and Wally. Right.
1: Um, the Citizen was about the taxi incident. I think it's important to mend fences
0: with the Ottawa media because, as we all know, the, the media is, is free advertising to a degree. They help sell the product to your customers, right? Yep. The Toronto radio is not doing that. Um, but on top of that, uh, like I say, I, I sound like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth. I think you also have to keep that low profile right now. Like Anthony LeBlanc, maybe use him as the guy that liaisons with the fans. Um, I think the low profile that he took this year. I think Eugene Melnick. I'm talking about. I think that was wise. Yep. And uh, I agree. I think that's. I think that's something. Just until things get better on the win loss column, then just keep things low key and and maybe keep a low profile. Um, and and unfortunately, this whole thing with the Sens Foundation and yep. the organ donation project uh, that kind of blew up. I think the Sens Foundation thing, um, it, it was disappointing to see the the great people that work there that are now, you know, they're going somewhere else, and and that's disappointing. But it's, at the end of the day, not the end of the world. And that was followed up by this organ donation project story that uh, the Ottawa Sun ran, and, um, and people were reacting to it really negatively, but... An, you know, the Sun article was loaded with mistakes.
1: I think the biggest thing that we missed there, and it, it shocks me that, that neither of us picked up on it, the um, the organ donation project, or their main goal was for awareness. Right. So when you look that they only gave out $5,000 to one charity or whatever it was, but they spent all this other money elsewhere, if you look at it, the amount of money they spent on media relations or whatever the exact wording was was a good chunk of their money that's the kind of things where they made psa's or they you know billboards or you know posters and signage and advertising and getting the word out is awareness they were spending money on awareness which is what their mandate was or is right
0: well and that and only makes sense when you, that. yeah i agree um we both should have caught it um because, I mean, you it's a different kind of charity. I think about, you know, you're raising money for the CIO Telethon. Like, money is raised, and then the foundation can go away and uh, buy this important new machine, for example. With, yeah. with organ donation, what you're trying to do is awareness, so that people sign their organ donor card. It's not like I can take money from this charity and go buy myself a nice new liver or something like that. Right. Yeah, that, that, it just doesn't work that way,
1: right? So they they were making PSA, uh, public service announcements. They were buying advertising and rink board advertising here and there. I'm sure they were doing things uh, media wise that we're not even aware of. You know, I'm, I'm I'm sure there were advertisements in in magazines and things about organ donation. Uh, I'm sure they probably contributed money somewhere for somebody to put things in with your your license renewal where there's something there that says hey. Do some organ donation. Don't forget to check that box. Think about those messages that you've seen over the over the years in your life. That's the kind of thing that the money was going to.
0: Okay, a couple of things um, yeah that we haven't gotten to yet. Let's go and the Connor Brown interview I thought was really good. So there's a guy named Connor Carrick, who's yep. now a devil's defenseman. Yeah. And and he um played with the Leafs and was a Connor Brown teammate, and Connor Brown jumped on his podcast. And Connor Brown opened up with some things about the season that I thought were kind of interesting, kind of a fun one out of the gate in the conversation. Connor Brown just basically started talking about what a great room it was. We were a great bunch of guys. Everybody it was sort of the same, and everybody got on well. And uh, you would know that that's probably by design by Pierre Dorian after all the things that happened. Yeah. You know, you think about Uber, you think about the dispute between Carlson and Hoffman, and uh, anyway, when talking about chemistry, he immediately talked about again the great group of guys. Who would you say, thinking about the Ottawa Senators lineup, and I I don't think you'll get this. Who would you say (laughs) in the dressing room holds court by far more than any other guy? He called him a (laughs) Hall of Famer. Loved listening to him talk. He's hilarious. Everybody, everybody loved him.
1: I'm going with Artie. The Artie Party. Um, no, no, no. Oh, <laughs> he
0: would have been the last guy I'd choose. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you make me think it has to be somebody obscure. Yeah. Not super. I do not. I, uh, okay. I no, do longer,
0: not. no longer with the club, if that Oh,
1: jeez. Oh, who knows? So it's somebody who left this season. Yeah. I'm oh,
0: talking you know, about the left? last season. Yeah.
1: Who left this season? I don't even. Oh, uh,
0: DeMello. DeMello would have been a good option. But it's Tyler Ennis. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. He said he called him Hall of Famer Tyler Ennis. I thought that was interesting. (laughs) I had no idea that Ennis was that popular or that outgoing. Um, Good for him. He also, Connor Brown did, talked about how DJ Smith, he's guessing a little bit, but DJ Smith brought a culture change in that when he arrived from Toronto to the Ottawa experience, some of the summer skates that he went through really weren't very crisp. And then. With D.J. Smith's insistence on hard practices, it changed over the course of the season, and that's part of why they worked as hard as they did in games, the way they were able to stay in games all the time, because it was a a natural kind of a flow to go from a hard practice to go from working yeah to working hard in a game. and D.J. Smith he's a, the two of them moved to Ottawa basically at the same time, and he has a lot of time for that guy.
1: Yeah, you practice the way you play,
0: right. When you think about Guy Boucher, I don't think of him as a soft touch. But clearly, you know, if this team's not out there working hard at practice, um, that speaks volumes. That's a player's take on things, by the way. That's not a media take. That's not a coaching take. That's a player who's just arrived in town who probably is cognizant of wanting to make friends and everything, and yet he still comes out with that, saying the summer skate was not nearly as crisp as what he was used to in Toronto.
1: Yeah, but that's also a guy who didn't play under Guy Boucher here. Um, that's also a guy whose summer skates were in Toronto where the quality of player on the ice is completely different than the than the, uh, the summer skates that are held here in Ottawa. With all due respect to the junior players and the NCAA players that are involved with the pros in the summer skates, it would be nowhere near the quality of player on the ice that he would have had with his Leaf summer skates.
0: He also talked about uh, this being the best thing for his career. Um, you know, what else are you going to say? You're now an Ottawa senator, <laughs> but uh, you know, he does seem like a guy um who's thrived here. Like he was near the top of the team scoring all season long, as we've talked about before. It's not just about being a really good hockey player. You need some luck. You need to be given a role uh before your confidence can really start to shine. You need to be believed in and not somebody who is constantly being chucked over the boards in a bottom six role.
1: Exactly. But but then again, he's one of those guys, you want him here for all the intangibles that he brings. But if three years from now, he's one of your highest paid forwards, and he's playing on the third, fourth line, you got a problem, right? He's one of those guys where it's got to be a smart decision on his next contract.
0: It's a little like the decision that the Sens had to make with J.G. Pajot to some degree, like in exactly. the here in we, the here we, and we now. Talked about it, yeah. In the here and now, terrific player, but when his role changes and he has to give away some of his ice time, prime ice time, to guys who are better finishers, these young guys, these skill guys, guys that'll be drafted in this year's draft, um, he's going to take a step back, and he's not going to be in a position role wise to earn his paycheck anymore if you really overpay him now. And that's probably a decision that they're probably thinking about this summer with uh, with Connor Brown. I like everything about that guy, and yep. uh, he really does remind me of J.G. Pajot. Skate all day, work all day, do all the right things on the ice, kill penalties, um, and chip in a little bit in the top six. But if you fancy yourself a Stanley Cup contender, you're probably not putting Connor Brown on your top line.
1: No, he's a he's a middle six guy. I mean, and again, we, we discussed Pajot. He is at six years at $5 million. like it, The problem that happens is the coach and the GM have got a guy making $5 million who really doesn't belong in the top six, but you're paying him that, so you need him to produce more, so you give him minutes there, right? You give him those minutes over somebody who might be better almost because of his contract when really the contract should have nothing to do with it, of course. I don't think that's going to happen with DJ Smith, and I think it's imperative upon... uh Pierre Dorian, to make sure that he signs these guys in the right brackets, in the right dollar brackets, and the right term lengths, so that that problem doesn't happen in the future. Connor Brown was a nice
0: junior player, but maybe a pointy game kind of guy. But once he got paired with this Connor McDavid guy, like yeah. I think maybe expectations shifted a little. He was a minus 72 in Erie in his first year, and then in his third and final year in Erie, he was a plus 44. Uh that's a bit of a turnaround and uh I think that's probably part of what uh you know the Leafs were excited about. They drafted him before I think McDavid even arrived, but uh I think there was a lot of excitement around the player in his rookie year in Toronto, but it always had to be taken with a grain of salt, given that uh Connor McDavid plays for the Edmonton Oilers now.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I mean it, Brownie is a honest, hard working, strong character, great work ethic, the kind of guy you like. He's probably awesome in the room. Uh, just make sure we don't overpay for him, and, and everything' will be fine. he's gonna be, he, he's, he's going to wear a letter, you know he's a kind, of, kind of guy who could, who could probably wear a letter at some point too.
0: yeah, know yeah, you couldn't go wrong there. Um, a member of the 2017 Ottawa Senators, which would be um, you know obviously a memorable lineup going all the way to the conference final, and as we all know, one goal away from the Stanley Cup final, uh, one guy from that team has called it a career, not exactly a household name. But he was here for something like, I think in total, 45 games, including playoffs. Played in nine games in that playoff run. Tommy Wingles has called it a career.
1: Uh, Another Um, honest, hardworking, quality character guy. Like bottom six forward, okay. But great, by all accounts, great guy in the room. Leadership, work ethic. But a quality individual. I don't know if you know this, but he's heavily involved with the uh, You Can Play Foundation. Okay. that, uh, That the Burke started. Yeah, Tommy Wingles was one of the he was a teammate, or sorry, um, no, I'm gonna drop what's the name now. What is uh Burke's uh Brendan Burke? It's Brendan Burke, okay. Brendan was the manager that is the student manager of the NCAA team where Tommy Wingles played. Uh and, and w- wingles played a big part in the acceptance of uh what's the proper acronym? LGBTQ, right? Plus. He, was, he was big on that LGBTQ inclusion in sports, the idea that these people, are, there's, there's no reason to, to be uh, biased towards anyone. He was an original part of the founding group of the uh, You Can Play people. He's uh, one of the first board members, uh, an advisory board position, and is still heavily involved with the You Can Play Foundation. Very cool. A, a quality guy. Yeah, a quality guy.
0: Yeah, and made a a nice little living for himself. Played over 400 games in the league. Made some money, and that's not bad for a guy who was drafted 177th overall back in the 08 draft. Fare thee well, Tommy Wingles. Fare thee well. I think the time I'll remember, as far as an Ottawa senator goes, primarily he was the guy that picked up the fourth goal puck that J.G. Pagio scored in the playoffs. That's what I remember most about him. Here's a two-on-one. Pagio. Wingles Peugeot, scores! J.G.
1: Peugeot! Oh, my heavens. A four-goal night, and he absolutely paralyzes. one
0: point. What? A hockey game for J.G. Peugeot. Unbelievable. Goosebumps, I tell you, goosebumps. That's courtesy of uh, NHL.com and TSN 1200. Dean Brown with the call there. A great call. What a day that was.
1: You are correct.
0: <laughs> um, okay. we Birthdays. Uh, we have to, we'd be remiss if we didn't have sends alumni birthdays. Here we go. Get the music going. All right. I got them here. They're here.
1: All right. And you didn't tell me any of them. I don't know. I know. It's a cold read for me. There you go. Uh, Joe Corbo. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh.
0: Joe Corbo is 43 years of age, ladies and gentlemen. One of the few guys on the team who's been with the team twice. Went away. Two time. Came back. Yeah. Two timer, cried the dressing room. Chris Neal, forty-one years of age. Oh, good old dealer. Yeah, forty-one. My Is that all? Yep. It's oh. funny because uh, they they always uh, they always put up uh, on the Hockey Hall of Fame website uh, the guys oh, yeah. who are uh, in their first year of eligibility and uh, one of the top names that right there, right away, just probably based on games played. Chris Neal, right there. I'm just saying his name's there. <laughs>
1: okay, happy birthday, Nealer. Happy 41.
0: birthday, Dean McCammond is uh, 47 years of age. I had no idea he was that old.
1: 47? Yeah, yeah, that's probably about right. Yeah, just the man. He got thumped by Pronger, right? That's his claim to fame.
0: Yeah, uh, Radek Hammer. Stop. Hammer time. The- Woo! <laughs> I don't know if you remember him, smallish defenseman yep. from the early days. He's 46 yep. years of age. And oh, he's I, younger than McHammett. I know, and uh, oh. I always found him interesting because, but he came before Radic Bonk. So you had Radic Hammer, who should have been a teammate of Radic Bonk.
1: Yeah, H A M R, right? Correct. Well done. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: And I Mark Mathot him. turns thirty-five this week as there well. There is our birthday file for this week. That will do yeah. it for another program. Done a lot of damage here today. Uh, what's going on this week for you?
1: Let's see. I watched, uh, I, I've got a couple of 30 for 30s to watch. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, I, I haven't watched the Lance one yet, the two-part are on Lance. I gotta watch that. Um, and there's, I've got a couple of, whether it's an E60 or a 30 for 30, there's one on Maguire and Sosa in that whole season. And there's a separate one I have just on Sosa. To, they're all they're all loaded up in the PVR. I'll get to them this week probably.
0: Good stuff. Okay.
1: Well, you? enjoy
0: enjoy your. I'm not doing much of anything. It's just a <laughs> okay. podcast palooza. Podcast every day, and uh, you know all, all the standard media stuff. But uh, it's been a fun gotcha. show today. Talk a little sends, and uh, thank you for being with us. And we hope you'll join us again for our next episode. Thanks, Greg. Talk to you next week. Thanks for being with us on the Sins Nation podcast. New episodes every Thursday. If you enjoyed the show and want to help the nation grow, please visit sinsnationpodcast.com. Leave a positive rating or review. Share the show with other Sins fans. Become a Patreon member or subscribe for free and never miss a single episode. Until next time, go Sins go.